The soul of the Nietzschean is this. We are arrogant. We are vain. We are manipulative. We are selfish. And we love our children. Welcome once again to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I am Ryan Mazzacco. Each week we take an episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and we examine it to see what we thought was interesting, funny, relevant. Uh, uh, I have a question. What's that? Why are we doing this? We're doing this because Tyr Anasazi. Oh, yes. Tyr Anasazi. And what I'm learning is neither one of us can do his voice very well. Yeah, I've been working on my transatlantic. It's not very good. Not very good. Are, we got to keep this up the whole show? I'm willing to drop it if you are. I think we already did. Okay. <laughs> like I said, each week we examine... An episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. This week, Ryan, it's Immaculate Perception. Oh, yes. That wonderful catch. Pittsburgh Steelers, Franco Harris. Um, good play. Okay. Not the same thing. Oh, no? No. Okay. Immaculate Perception. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That's right. The Virgin Mary. Uh, in, not exactly. No. Perception. Viewpoint. Oh. Perception. Okay. Immaculate Perception. I'm confused. Maybe I did not watch this episode. <laughs> I hope you did, because okay. you have summary, don't you? You know what I do. But you didn't. <laughs> I've got it. Oh, I've okay. got it. Yeah, okay. right here. Right okay. here. Why would you question whether or not I did the summary? Gee, I don't know. Let's... Just because that one week that I didn't do it? <laughs> and I'm sure none of our listeners even noticed that the sound quality was different for the summary. Um, no. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm certain they didn't. Um, Thanks for bringing it up. Okay. Well, you know. <laughs> but before we get into the show, I've got a few items of trivia to go over. What do you say we do that first? I think it's uh, about that time, yeah. We had several guest stars that we get to talk about. The first one I wanted to bring up was David Lovegren, and he plays Desmond Lord Goris, the Genite captain. He's a Canadian actor, and he appears in a lot of television from the 80s through the 2000s, uh, 21 Jump Street. He also appeared in the cult sci-fi favorite Red Dwarf. Uh, I thought this was interesting. He has a credit in the film Cool Runnings. Oh, yeah? As the Swiss team captain. <laughs> so uh, an appropriate role uh, for that. Um, he has a couple of appearances on one of our favorite television shows that we like to talk about besides Andromeda. The Star Trek. Oh, oh no. Well, no, I didn't see any for Star Trek, but the Kamish. Okay. He did uh, appear a couple of times on the Kamish. Uh, he also appeared in the revived Viper series. Do you remember Viper at all? Just as a sidebar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there was I a... mean, I didn't until you just said that. And then I was like, oh, yeah. I know. I, I s- remember Viper. Okay. Yes. And I saw that credit and I was like, 
that's one of those 90s television shows that I completely forgot about. <laughs> but yeah, he was in it, actually, in one episode. Uh, and then he has also appeared in The X-Files. He appeared in the 2001 film Antitrust. Uh, he's also shown up in The Outer Limits, the Jeremiah television series. And he played uh, two characters in Stargate SG-1 in 2001 and 2007. He was also in Psych, Smallville, and Stargate Atlantis. Wow. So he's done quite a bit of television throughout the past couple of decades. So we'll get to see him as Lord Goris, the Genite captain in this episode. Christopher Logan, he plays the drift captain, Prometheus Wellington, that we mm -hmm. get to see uh, briefly. Briefly, yeah. yeah. Uh, he begins showing up in small television roles in the late 90s, uh, and then he appears uh, as Vagrit in the film Saving Silverman. Okay. So if you remember that role, there there he is. Goes on to appear in the film Tron Legacy, and then in other series like Psych, and most recently he appeared in the revived X-Files as Dr. Sanjay. Okay. Then we have the return of guest actors Dylan Burke as Freya, Marion Eisman as Matriarch Olma, and Stuart O'Connell as our favorite Nietzschean, Dimitri. Dimitri. That's right. So all of these actors from uh, Double Helix, we get to see them in, in their return here in their same roles uh, for Immaculate Perception. It's interesting to note that Stuart O'Connell's appearance as Dimitri in this episode, this is his last credited role as far as his film career is concerned. Well, I mean, I don't mean to spoil the episode, but he did die. True. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, we have this appearance, and then also in 2002, he appeared in the television series uh, Jeremiah. And then that's it. From 2002 on, he has not appeared hmm. in television or film. Still alive. Hmm. Uh, I, I couldn't find anything about uh, his passing, which would be uh, unusual considering his age. But uh, this was the last time we'll see him. Uh, so in that scene where he's lying there dead, mm -hmm. kind of means a little more than just the death of Dimitri. Huh. <laughs> it's the ending of a career, whether by choice or uh, by other circumstances. Okay. So anyway, that's what I had for trivia for this episode. Okay. Ryan, it's your summary. Okay. Why don't you lay that on us, please? Immaculate Perception. A group of radicals are searching and destroying weaker Nietzschean prides, which gets Tyr's attention. He convinces Dylan that they need to serve them a cease and desist. Why does Tyr care so much? Doesn't matter. If Dylan refuses, then his vision of an egalitarian society, even for the Nietzscheans, is a sham. Which is good enough for Dylan. Who are these people? They are the Knights of Genetic Purity, but we call them Genites. Determined to eradicate the universe of all genetically modified humans. The top of their list is the Nietzscheans, like Tyr but also includes Dylan, Becca, come to think of it, everyone on the Andromeda except for Harper. Probably not Trance either, but she's not in this episode. They track the Genites to the Goran system, where Tyr promptly hijacks a slip fighter and heads off on an adventure of his own. The Goran system is home to several small Nietzschean prides, including the Orca. Orca? Oh yeah, remember them from Double Helix? If not, that's okay. Becca reminds everyone what happened in Double Helix, with a few holes in the story, including that Tyr met Freya and they got married. Dylan lets the rest of the crew in on that. Let that sink in. Meanwhile, Tyr sneaks his slip fighter onto Asteroid Orca, takes off his shirt, and finds Freya. 
They cuddle for a while, and then she lets him know they have a son. Tyr is thrilled. But the rest of the story, Dimitri, the Orca's new alpha, has taken him from her. Tyr and Freya take off to find the boy and get off this rock. But they've replaced him with a body dummy that would make Ferris Bueller proud. And then get into a fight with a herd of Orcas. Tyr breaks Dimitri's neck and yells at the surviving Pride members. Enter stage right, Olma, the Orca matriarch, carrying the infant Tamerlane and Asazi, out of Freya by Tyr. Olma is impressed that Tyr has once again bested their alpha and offers him the job. He's not interested, but just wants to take Freya and Tamerlane and leave. That's not possible, though. As Olma explains, the boy is too important. He is the great leader, the one to come, the genetic reincarnation of Drago Musevni, the Nietzschean messiah. The Genites are alerted to Tyr's position when he breaks radio silence. He agrees to help the Orca Pride evacuate, but that's as far as his help goes, using them as a shield to protect Freya and Tamerlane. The Genites catch them and kill Freya as Tyr gets away with Tamerlane and Olma. Then big explosions, and the Orca transports are destroyed by the Genites, followed by the entire Orca asteroid. Did Tyr make it out? Sensors indicate nothing for days, until Tyr shows up on the Andromeda. He relates to Dylan what happened to Freya, and goes on to tell him that Olma was killed by an explosion, but not before handing Tamerlane over to his father. He took the boy and boarded the slip fighter and made his escape only to find out that the boy had also been killed. Dylan calls him out on the deception, and using the orca as a shield, and questions whether the deception is still going on, and the boy is in fact still alive safe somewhere, while Tyr waits for the perfect moment to reclaim him for his own purposes. Tyr says, I wish that were true. Dylan, somewhat to the surprise of Tyr, says, Me too. The end. Oh, wait, 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 one more thing. Oma is somewhere rocking baby Tamerlane and singing him a Nietzschean lullaby. So, uh, they're not really dead. The end. Or the end? <laughs> it's all in the yeah. it's all in the inflection there, man. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I'm interested to know the history of the Gorn system and how those Nietzscheans defeated the lizard creatures. Yeah. 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 I bet that was epic. I think so, yeah. <laughs> it was probably broadcast on all starship screens throughout the quadrant. Yeah. Um, I was going to make a Gorn joke <laughs> until I looked at the transcript and saw that it was Gorin. Gorin. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sitting here thinking, uh, and here we are talking about Star Trek. <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> right off the bat. Uh-huh. Well, should we just do a Star Trek show? No. Okay. No, right. we shouldn't. Um, what was the movie Insurrection? Uh, there was the the crooked admiral that was working with the the enemy that were actually friends that mm-hmm. were old. Um, <laughs> every time he, he every time he mentioned it, and it was a couple of times he brought it up when talking with Picard. Mentioned that the Enterprise needed to get to the Gorn system. Okay, that was that was what he was saying, but. The way he said Gorn, it sounded very much like Gorn system, mm-hmm. like what you were just pronouncing. Mm-hmm. So that's immediately what I thought of. Okay. Was I saying Gorn? <laughs> sounded like, yeah. Gorin. Gorin Gorin. Gorin system. Gorin system. Yeah, that's how the Admiral said it. Okay. And I'm like, when did an E get in the <laughs> get in the word? 
But uh, anyway. Yeah. Where you Gorin? To the Gorin system. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. So uh, something that I noticed, Dylan, not too much unlike us, shouldn't do impressions. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do. Impressions are, are hard, yeah. You, you have to practice in front of the mirror a lot, I think, before you can get a, um, an impression of someone down pat. Right. I just spend most of my time just looking at my Im- image and mm-hmm. talking to myself. Yeah. Without, I don't try to impersonate other people. Without doing impressions? People. Right, okay. yeah. I try to impersonate myself. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. I do a really good impression of myself. You, It's spot on, man. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. I work hard on that I've one. I've never seen a better one. Uh, so let's talk about Freya's message. Okay. Early on, you know, we had that message that she sent Tyr to, to get him to come, mm-hmm. pick them up, rescue rescue them. Um, I don't know if this is just an observation to bring up, or if this is really part of the character that we could get into and talk about. Okay. So I'm just going to bring it up here, and we'll either put a pin in it, or we'll bring it to its pointless conclusion. Um, when we last saw Freya. Did she seem like the the needy type uh, that was that was really attached to her her newly betrothed husband? Uh, I would have to say no. I, that was the impression that I got. I didn't mm-hmm. go back to Double Helix, and I think I should have. Mm-hmm. But my impression when we finished this, when we finished Double Helix, the impression that I got that she was she was quite angry with Tear, yeah, and not really interested in continuing that relationship. Mm-hmm. And yet in this message, is she that was, what you She got? was holding the cards. She was really. holding the cards, yes. Yeah. Yes, she was. Um, in this message, did you get the impression that she was perhaps still angry with Tyr at all? Mm, no. 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 Mm-mm. In fact, I have it written down in my notes here. I fully expected to hear the line come from her, help me, Tyr Anasazi, you're my only hope. <laughs> <laughs> because that is, uh, it sounded like exactly what she was trying to say right you're our only hope for survival mm-hmm. but the way she sugarcoated the words to him the, <laughs> i don't know it 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 seemed a one a complete 180 from where we left this character the last time mm-hmm. that we saw her well i mean you got to figure too she she knows here well does she i mean they basically spent like one or two nights together i think right? she said it right herself one night of passion yeah one night together uh, that's all they've had yeah so okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna recant that she doesn't know tear but she knows she knows tears type right because yeah. they're nietzscheans yeah they're pretty much all the same right so maybe she was appealing to that side of him that makes him feel like he's important, yeah, and that they need him because you know that's going to appeal to him, right? Yeah, I feel like all she should have said is, uh, "You have a son, come help him." <laughs> yeah, I mean that that right there would have guaranteed his involvement in the situation. Well, yeah, she, okay, that's kind of where you're starting to touch on maybe something for discussion later. Okay, we can come back to okay. it. Okay. Um, one thing that we can say about Harper is that he learns from his mistakes. Sometimes. <laughs> this week, he learned from his mistakes. Uh, do you remember a few weeks ago, what, was it last week or the week before, when uh, he made the 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 visual facsimile of, of Dylan? 
Oh yeah, last okay, week. right, and they fooled the last time. They, they fooled everybody. Yeah, except the fact that he forgot to turn the comm off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, did you notice this week he turned it off before he made his you know suckers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, right? gr- how great would it have been if they'd have had some continuity there yeah. and he left it open by mistake? Right. That could have been a very different episode. It, it would have been. It, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Could have been interesting. Yeah. Who are you calling suckers? Oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the gig's up. The jig is up. <laughs> no, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, he did cut the comm off in time. Mm-hmm. Good on you. Yeah. Lord Goris. Yeah. I was... You know, interesting to see that Hitler gets his wish. Yeah, with the Genites, mm-hmm. uh, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Aryan race returns in full force. Wow, you're right. <laughs> I went there. Yeah, sorry. I it, it, just the whole time I saw that actor, I was sitting there thinking, "Wow, they mm. could not have picked a more uh, stereotypical Aryan-looking person." And what is he talking about? Genetic purity, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was the whole point. Of the Aryan race. I, yeah. I thought, whether by design or by accident, either way, um, it, right there, mm-hmm. it stood out. Wow. That stings. I have a question about radio silence. Because because that's that's, that's the comment that they make, is uh, Dylan tells Tyr to maintain radio silence, right? Mm-hmm. He breaks the radio silence, and then that starts a whole thing. By design, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, do you remember when they were at, uh, Savion and they were talking about their combustion engines and their radio communication? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm wondering, are they still using radio communication <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or is it just kind of one of those things that they say? Yeah. You know, like we say, Hey, we're going to uh, videotape something, you know, when really there's no tape involved. Right. Okay. So yeah. Is it just just kind of one of those things you say it doesn't apply anymore right are they using more like something like a hyperwave technology mm-hmm. or something that allows them to do more direct one uh real-time communication is that what you're getting at yeah i don't know it's it's all waves right yeah i mean they they travel at the speed of light is that what you're talking about the delay between them that the fact that there is no delay between them um no i'm i i'm getting a little ahead of myself because that's okay. actually for a future discussion but okay just the fact that they're calling it radio silence. Yeah. When they were just kind of looking down on the Savions for using for radio. using radio. Standard radio frequency. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, and I'm I'm with you. Um jargon. Okay. That's just probably a word that has that applies to anything audio communication wise. Okay. All right. That's fine. Now, here's the other thing that goes along with that same scene when they send the message to 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 Tyr, and then Tyr responds, acknowledged. Yeah. Okay. Totally ruined the whole thing. Yeah. This is something that you see all the time in any sort of sci-fi or anything that's set in the future. Everything is is uh, it, it's everything's on speakerphone, for one thing, and and I know we've discussed this in the past, mm-hmm. but here it comes up again. <laughs> Um, it, everything's on speakerphone, yeah. so you don't have any privacy. You don't know who's around when Dylan sends him that message. I, I just, we already have the technology now. I would kind of like to see everybody with some sort of like a Bluetooth implant in their ears <laughs> or something. Right. So that they're getting that message 
and no one else around them is. Um, here's my other concern about this. Dylan warns him to maintain radio silence. He doesn't know who else is in that room. He doesn't know what else is going on around here when that happens. I mean, what if right... Because you don't see Tyr, like, push a button or something to say acknowledged. He just says it. Acknowledged. And then, oh, great. There it is, right? Is it voice activated? Yeah, because he doesn't because he doesn't know what's going on. What if Dylan says to him, "Okay, here's the message. This is important. Maintain radio silence." And then right when Dylan is saying radio silence, somebody from the other room comes in and says, "Hey, Tear, here's that thing you were looking for." <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Okay, and then the cover's blown. Right. It, it happened to work out for Tear because he wanted his cover to be blown. But I'm just saying. Yeah. How does all this stuff work? This is this is the stuff I'm interested in. Okay. Yeah. I I think there are some probably some failsafes. Uh does Siri uh or or you have a Samsung, right? Yes. Is there some sort of voice activated Yeah, thing? It's, it's Google. Google? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm going to use Siri since I I use that. Um Siri doesn't respond when other people walk in the room. Okay. If if it's from a distance. Okay. Because the device, I th- I don't know this or not, but it seems like if you're far enough away, the device isn't listening that closely. Hmm. You kind of have the have to have the device kind of close, within close proximity to you, for it to activate, to understand what you're saying. Okay. All right. Whether that's true or not, that's been my experience. Okay. Because when I try to holler at Siri from across the room while I'm toweling off, uh-huh. <laughs> or whatever, uh, it doesn't respond. Hmm. So. Maybe someone coming in the room talking, uh, the device is not going to pick that up, and therefore it won't relay that. Okay. All right. What if someone's standing right next to Tyr, and they're a little hard of hearing? That could be a problem. And then they're like, maintain radio silence. What'd they say? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That could be a problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fortunately, he was, you know, huddled behind a rock on his own. Sure. Yeah. So. All right. So we got a question answered from the last episode that we did. Did we? Yes, we okay. did. Um, and you already you already broached the character Harper. Okay, he learned from his uh, mistakes apparently, as we uh, as we've already established mm-hmm. just just now in this conversation. Um, he also says at one point while flying the Maru, um, deploying missiles. Okay, you remember the missile discussion that we had? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Only one missile launched from the Maru when he said deploying missiles. So that leads me. To one of two conclusions. Either the Maru only has one missile. Okay. Or the missile pod is defective. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Either one of those could work, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, so when, when Tyr uh, says he used all the missiles to kill that one pilot, it was either only one missile or the pod quit working. Mm-hmm. And therefore they had no more missiles to fire. Okay. I think we got an answer to that question. Yeah, I think so. Um, except I'm not, I don't think tier would have said we used all the missiles he would have just said we used all the well miss- we, harper we used here, the missile harper says in plural deploying missiles and immediately we only see one missile fire from the maru and hit one of the genite ships huh and that's the only missile that we see fired out of the maru well maybe they were just following that one missile <laughs> Because that was the one that was important. I don't know. If you go back and watch it, it looks like only one missile activated. So, defective or ill-equipped is the answer that we come up with for the Maru's missile bay. 
Yeah, I think <laughs> ill-equipped is probably a good description. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. I'll go with that. One thing I learned about Tyr, he likes to make an entrance. That he does. <laughs> what do you think about that scene? <laughs> I mean, of all the ways that we have seen characters introduced in a scene... She wakes up in bed. Mm-hmm. She hears a noise. Oh my goodness! Someone's coming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, someone's coming down the hall. Or so- no, mm-hmm. he's dropping <laughs> out of the off a pedestal bed, right? In onto the floor in front of her. Sure, why not? He's like Batman. I, there was just an element of Velveeta <laughs> just oozing off of that whole sequence that I just I had to laugh. I laughed. Mm-hmm. I laughed out loud at it. Right. Um. It was funny to me. Mm-hmm. It was funny. And, you know, I got to say, I think he was kind of assuming with the whole situation, too. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be happy to see me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like I mentioned in my recap, uh, he already had his shirt on. <laughs> yeah. And I'm wondering why. I, I really felt like the mood music that they were playing at that moment might have been a little uh, not the right kind. Oh. I wanted to hear some, you know, deep bass. Right. <laughs> Maybe he carried a, a drum track. Yeah. Going. Maybe he carried that music in with him. <laughs> Maybe he did. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what she was reacting to. She didn't hear someone coming down the hallway. She heard the music. She heard the romantic music. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She's like, is that Kenny G? And, and a little more. <laughs> yeah. A little more on that. Um, it was nice of Dimitri to give them the time. It for, for really and was. Free to, what would you for cuddle? Yeah, he gave him the cuddle time. Well, yeah, they haven't seen each other in over a year. I know, I know. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. he, he gave him that time before they came after the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, it, before he sent in the goon squad, that was great. Uh, so Freya dies. Yeah, what'd you think of that? Uh, you know, it was uh, it was. I guess on some level, um, yeah, it was the worst death scene. It was the worst capture slash death scene ever, I think. Uh At least in this series. Oh, okay. To date. Yeah. You didn't like that, did you? No. Okay. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it was was as if the actress didn't know where to turn (laughs) at, at moments. It seemed like she was like, how do I make this look? natural i'm failing (laughs) i'm kind of really not sure exactly how she didn't get out of that yeah because it it really looked like she was going to and and then all of a sudden just shots from behind he he runs past her (laughs) she kind of turns half looking over her shoulder and then she's just like oh god i'm caught (laughs) (laughs) as they're closing in you know uh i don't know who the choreographer for that scene was not the best moment yeah. in Andromeda. Oh, so anyway, um, yeah, that's some just some quick observations that we had about it. Let's get into the meat of this episode. Let's learn a little bit more about the characters and what we've learned about the universe here in Andromeda. Okay. okay. Uh, one thing that I learned is in space, sending distress signals or messages is really kind of pointless. Because, you know, in this universe, there's no sort of uh, subspace or anything like that. Right. So when Prometheus sends out his distress message, 
he's sending that out. Who 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 does he think is going to get that? Because if it's being sent out in real time over apparently radio waves, apparently or or some sort of similar wave, they still only travel at the speed of light. Yeah. Okay. Who does he think is going to pick that up in time? You know, someone's going to be have to, someone's going to have to be traveling within, you know, a few light minutes of it. You yeah. know, maybe maybe a light hour away. Yeah, and they're still probably going to be too late. And if they're buzzing around in in slipstream, no uh-huh. one's picking it up. Yeah. So he would have to be incredibly lucky to get help immediately. Right. Yeah. But I guess in that position, you're just you're desperate for anything. Okay. All right. Well, it just still seems kind of pointless. It just seems like um, a Nietzschean drift would be a little bit better armed, don't you think? I mean, it was a drift that was being uh-huh. attacked, right? Yeah. We've seen a lot of these things in show. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, uh, for the most part, some of them can be pretty formidable. I don't know. At the very okay. least, it's a Nietzschean okay. outpost. All right, I'll give you that. <laughs> so... I guess we don't really get any details on how many ships get destroyed uh, of their attackers. But, uh, you know, I find it hard to believe that it it just seemed like an innocent drift being taken out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, but the Genites were powerful. Yes. We could see that. Yes. We we didn't know that at the time. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. So can we talk about the Genites just a little bit here? Yeah, sure. Let's go ahead. All right, so these guys have been looking at the High Guard cookbook, according mm-hmm. to Dylan, but have jazzed it up quite a bit. They're, like, on the Pyrians level. They're ahead of, of Andromeda, right? Maybe even ahead of the Pyrians. Possibly so. I mean, cause, I mean, Harper's impressed with a lot of the tech that they find. Yeah, and uh, that's what I remember about the Pyrians, was that Dylan was saying they are comparable to us. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a 50-50 if you have to go into a fight with them. Yeah. They are a lot more intimidated by the peer, or uh, by the Genites. Yeah. Their technology is way above that. And yet, the Andromeda does an awful lot of fighting with this Genite fleet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we reconcile that? They're the good guys. That's all we got? That's all I got. Mm-hmm. Because it was a lot of fighting. Well, oh, I'm sorry. The Maro shot a missile. <laughs> <laughs> right. And there were 303-year-old slip fighters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't really get to see them in action, though. But a lot of missiles from the Andromeda. Well, because they, they called the slip fighters back almost immediately. That's true. And yeah. it was it was pretty much all this ruse that Harper was a part of. Yeah. That was, was so much of this, um, which, admittedly, I didn't hardly pay any attention to that part of the story at all because it just didn't seem interesting and relevant to me. Um, but I mean, there was that, that Harper was a big part of that. Right. But even still, it just seems like with the slip fighters all being called back, the Maru's already exhausted. It's one missile. Um, (laughs) and, and they're going into that fight saying we can't compete with these guys. Yeah. And then Dylan turns right around and says, all right, we're going to destroy them all. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like. But you just said that they were going to... Yeah. I mean, the from what I saw from the battle taking place and the outcome that we got out of it, uh, this was not an overpowering fleet. 50 High Guard ships could have taken this fleet out in moments. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, maybe it was just... They seemed powerful in their mind 
at the time when they first see them because this is all new stuff. Even Andromeda is saying, I don't know what this stuff is. I've never seen this before. All right. And then once the battle commences, they kind of start to get their bearings. Yeah. They figure out they're able to get their laser scalpels and blow the seraphims off, right? Right. And, the PDL set the laser scalpel. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Right. So they get the hang of it. They're just they're just a little in awe at first. Yeah. On their back on their back feet. Yeah. Their back heel. Right. But then once they actually get into it, they're like, you know what, this this water isn't so bad. We got this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I still kind of want to know at what point did they start to feel like they got this. <laughs> yeah. Cause, I think that's a valid question. Because even at the point when Dylan says, we're going to chase him down and we're going to get him, we're going to destroy him. I don't know that they have figured out at that point yet that they can take him. Right. Even still, no one objects. Nobody says... We're going to get our butts handed to us. Right. <laughs> and I feel like that's probably something that would have been said mm -hmm. in any other situation. Right. If the, if it were Pyrian, certainly. Mm -hmm. Even Dylan, I think, would have been like, we don't want to we don't want to take this fight on. Mm -hmm. Tears on his own. Right. Anyway. Maybe they found out that they were stronger than they thought they were. The Genites. Yeah. What do we we haven't actually talked about the Genites before. I know we mentioned them at the end of the last episode. Mm -hmm. But that's because we were I had watched forward a little bit, <laughs> I think. But we haven't really officially been introduced to them until this episode mm -hmm. when we get all of our exposition about the Genites at the very beginning of the story. Right. Yeah. Which was a good thing. That was a lot of because it just gets us right on into it. Mm -hmm. Um a lot better than the exposition about Trance being not on the episode. Yeah. I thought that was a little weak. Yeah, but at least it was there. That's at true. At least they acknowledged that she was not going to be there. Mm -hmm. The Genites, to me, are a completely legitimate faction in this universe. Okay. I, a lot of, of sci-fi has factions and alien races that exist for the sake of being the foil for being the opposite of whatever the hero and his or her uh, race or creed, whatever it is, right? Okay, yeah. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, we have the Federation, then we had Klingons, mm -hmm. right? Okay, they were just the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, you, you have the Alliance, you have the Empire. Okay. You've got these diametrically opposed, but it's diametrically, diametrically opposed to the main character. Here, with these Genites, this seems like a really interesting faction because it's not directed, in, at least not initially, at Dylan and his crew. Now, once they find out about Dylan and his crew, eventually they'll come after them, won't they? It would stand to reason. Yeah, because they are not genetically pure humans. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting. These are kind of sneaky in that they hate Nietzscheans. Well, this seems to go along with Dylan's plan, and Harper really pushes that out there. Um, in this universe, the Genites really feel like they belong because of everything the Nietzscheans stand for and everything the Nietzscheans have done to the known universe. Yeah, you're going to have a group that's going to stand up like this and going going to say pure humans are nothing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um 
it just felt like a very real faction to me. Right. That that we would see in this universe, in this environment now. I think that uh, with some of the things that some of the people have gone through, say, for example, Harper. Yeah. You can understand why some might be sympathetic to their cause. Absolutely. And you know, that moment when Harper says, right. I might hate the Nietzscheans more than you do. Mm-hmm. Because this Lord Goris, he, he's probably never suffered under the hand of a Nietzschean the way Harper has. Mm-hmm. Does that justify genocide? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, that's, that's a whole nother different kind of discussion, you know? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, from, from what we have seen of the Nietzscheans, the majority of them, you can kind of see Harper's point. They're all either, uh, slavers or tyrants or what was the other thing that he said, that he said there were three different things. I don't remember what the other yeah, one was. Yeah. Slavers, tyrants, or whatever it was, it was bad. Um, and it, so you get the idea that basically no one likes Nietzscheans except for other Nietzscheans. And even then, they don't really even like each other. Right. Um, you know what? This kind of goes a little bit into my my next point that I, I had written down. Um, Tyr makes a quote because he's chomping at the bit. He wants to get down there to save uh, Freya. Yeah. He he doesn't let anybody else know that. Yeah. As far as everyone else is concerned, this is just a whole thing. I want to save them because they're Nietzscheans and it's the right thing to do, which on one hand, nobody's buying it. Nobody. I don't know, really even know why he's putting up this facade. Um, maybe that's another discussion. But he he makes the, the statement, he says, because they're, they're spending so much time trying to figure out exactly what's going on and how they're going to go about taking care of this situation. And he's like, let's just go, let's just go, let's go, let's go. And he makes a statement, he says, your inability to trust Nietzscheans is costing lives. Mm-hmm. This is really getting at Tyr. Yeah. Here's the part that puzzles me. He's blaming them for costing lives because of their inability to trust Nietzscheans. When has a Nietzschean ever shown themselves to be trustworthy? When has Tyr <laughs> ever shown himself to be concerned about Nietzscheans at any point? Uh-huh. Nietzschean lives at any point before this moment when he says that? Uh-huh. Yeah, he's coming completely out of left field. That's one of the things that they pride themselves on, is yeah. their treachery. Yeah. And their betrayal, and their ability to just survive no matter what. Yeah. And and Freya comes, she, she mentions that too, is that she didn't, she didn't tell him about their son because she was unsure of his intentions. Mm-hmm. Because he betrayed their people. It just seems like so many contradictions in Nietzschean philosophy. Yeah. We are going to steal your son, and a lot of the Orca Pride wanted to kill his son because of the betrayal and the treachery of his father. Yeah. Right? But then at the same time, that's the thing that they pride themselves on, is that treachery and betrayal and yeah. that cunning. No, it's... Yeah, I, I, don't, I see it, and... It doesn't make any it, sense. It, yeah, it, it doesn't exactly compute, and it doesn't exactly... It makes how this episode is written kind of hard to grasp mm-hmm. because of that. Because you're getting something completely out of left field from Tyr, which is 
not been his character that we have seen so far. Right. Or any other Nietzschean for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, and it's not just here. Right, right. It's yeah. Just, it's through it's just so so inconsistent. You you got to wonder how have the Nietzscheans survived as a people at all? <laughs> how were how did they get organized enough to take down the high guard just yeah. to begin with? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then much less survive for 300 years in a position of power. You got to be looking over your shoulder constantly. Yeah. Within your own pride. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like that? Mm-hmm. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, well, uh, look what Dimitri did to the Alpha. Yeah. Right. It, and that apparently plays itself out throughout Nietzschean culture. The other thing that worries about me is that Dimitri, I, I can't remember the his predecessor's name now, but um, yeah, he slits his throat. Mm hmm. Everyone in Orca Pride seems to be cool with that. Hey, he's the one that took action. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> Tyr shows up, kills Dimitri. Everyone in Orca seems to be cool with that. You're our new leader now. Yeah. Or or, or we want to make you an offer mm-hmm. that you can't refuse. Right. That he refuses. Yeah. He can quite easily, it turns <laughs> yeah, out. Apparently so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of inconsistencies that this episode brings up with the Nietzscheans that... We loved Double Helix, right? Yeah. Because we learned so much about the Nietzschean people. Right. And it set, it did a lot of really great world building. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here about what we think about this episode. But this episode and what we learned about Nietzscheans and Tyr Anasazi and Orca Pride and how all of these things come to, it's, it's all been torn down. Not Not 100%. But now everything that we appreciated about Double Helix... And that set certain parameters. Now it's all called into question again. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that's so much um, writing as much as it is just the Nietzscheans as a people. What I mean is, it's not so much that the writing didn't make sense, like they messed up in the writing. It's just that I think the Nietzscheans are a messed up race of people. That's what we've learned. Okay. Nietzscheans are a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> if we didn't know that before. We do now. Yeah. No, excellent point. Excellent point. Uh, you mentioned Freya being upset about Tyr betraying the Orca Pride and them losing everything, right? Yeah. Apparently not everything. They found a new asteroid, kind of like the old one, real quick. Yeah. Where'd, she got her same bed and room. Oh, wow. Back. She got everything she lost. Huh. Except Tyr wasn't there. Yeah. Until this episode when he shows up. Yeah. I thought that was interesting how <laughs> they're this nomadic. The Orca lost their asteroid home base and their home world, they called it, and became this nomadic people. But they somehow find them, found their way into their own asteroid again. How would you like to live on an asteroid? I, it looked pretty nice. Yeah, but it's basically like living underground all the time. Yeah. I mean, you can't ever go outside. I, I keep the blinds drawn in my house as much as humanly possible. But you do walk from your door to your truck. And I hate every second of it, too. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, I, I, I get what you're saying. But, you know, they've got heat lamps and, I don't know, some VR goggles, maybe. I don't know. I just think there's there's three galaxies out there. That, couldn't they find a Class M planet? <laughs> a better, better planet to live on. Somewhere? Yeah. Well, there's, there's got to be a planet out there with, like, fishmongers or something that's just aching to be conquered. Yeah, right. I want to ask, because we've already kind of talked about him enough here, I think, but I just want to ask one more question of you. Why didn't he tell Dylan about his son 
why didn't he tell him about his wife and what his motivation was? Don't you think Dylan would have understood a little bit better than just coming out of left field the way he did? Um, yes, absolutely. Especially considering that once Dylan figured out it was Orca Pride, he put the whole thing together. Yeah. Uh, not to mention what the Genites told him. I mean, he, he figured it all out, and mm-hmm. he's still... I think you can say he's still kind of trying to help Tyr through this whole thing. Honestly, if I really have to to boil it down and say, why did Tyr not tell Dylan? It would have ruined the reveal for us. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I, I think that's the only reason that he didn't tell Dylan. No, I, you're right. You're right. It would have revealed would have not been as dramatic a reveal. But was it that dramatic in the end? <laughs> we kind of knew what was coming, didn't we? What you knew that he had a son. You knew that his son was going to be the from the we've had all of this set up throughout the series yeah. of genetic reincarnation and things like that. And we know what Tears goal is and what ultimately would give him the power that he needs in order to carry out his Machiavellian plan, right? Yeah. The moment we see it, it, and I'm talking about my first time seeing it through, the moment we see Freya at the very beginning pleading for Tyr to come, you know she's got a son. Because Double Helix established that she was pregnant. Right. So we know Tyr has a son from the very beginning of this episode. uh, Unless you just completely forgot about Double Helix. Well, but... But the thing was, Double Helix still left us hanging. Because because in at the end of Double Helix, Ulma gives her the two different vials. Yeah, and basically, the red pill and the blue pill. Exactly. <laughs> and, and she's weighing her options. Yeah. Okay, he's a survivor. He also betrayed us. Which one do I want to go with? But the very fact that she was pleading with him to come back with such sweet... Overtones. Okay. Only a woman that's had your child is going to respond that way to you. Or someone that's desperate for your help. Granted. I don't know. I I think, yeah, there's definitely a very good chance that she has a child, that Tyr is the father. I don't know if we necessarily... I, okay, you knew it. You're saying you absolutely knew it the first time you saw that. Yeah. Okay. So I mean if you if you figured that out and put that all together and you were so sure that you knew and you were right then good on you. I'm just saying the clues were there but we didn't really know for sure. Okay, well you've answered my question. He didn't tell Dylan because he couldn't because of story, because of plot mm-hmm. and reveal. Uh I guess to argue anything beyond that is to try and rewrite the story. Okay. And we can't do that. Right. So let's just move on then. Okay. I guess one thing about uh, when Olma does finally tell Tyr that Tamerlane is, they believe, the genetic reincarnation of Drago Museveni. And the only reason they know that, because Tyr wants to know, how do you know that? And because they they, they sent off, basically, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what I want to know is if, if this is something that is so incredibly important <laughs> and something that every Nietzschean is looking for, 
why don't they have a copy of Drago Museveni's genetic profile? Right. And and I realize that they need to prove it against the bones, right? But still, can't you have like a like a, a computer profile, like a graph or something that shows what the 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 genetic profile is, and then you can compare it against that? That was my thought. Is honestly, uh, in this day and age, three thousand years in the future, with all the data they have and the ability and the you know the the, the libraries of data available. How hard is it to have the genome of Drago Mesevni on mm-hmm. file somewhere? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. An excellent point. Unless it has just been so top secret and kept under wraps so well that it really does matter who owns the corpse. Okay, well then, to whom did they send it then? She said who it was. It was just some random place okay. that had a... Like a one-hour lab or something? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what? So, yeah, I mean, uh, she sent it off, I guess, to like the the universe Andromeda universe's equivalent of 23 and me or something oh, okay. for genetic testing. <laughs> yeah. So you can understand why tear might be upset with something like that. Probably so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not very secure. No, definitely not very secure. Right. And that's why the Genites are here. Mm-hmm. Just a little interesting side point. I guess every star system with this formation, I guess it's called the same thing. I guess every star system has a Kuiper belt. Okay. I didn't know <laughs> if I heard that right. <laughs> I did. Okay. Yeah, because when he said Kuiper Bat, I'm like, hey, that's what we have here in our solar system. So I guess uh, every star system has a Kuiper Belt. Yeah, or it's equivalent. Or it's equivalent, Mm -hmm. yeah. We're just calling it that. Sure. Now, see, I guess I was thinking, because they called it an asteroid belt. Yes. At one point. At one point, yeah. Okay, and now it's the Kuiper Belt. Yeah. (laughs) Which I, I thought, again, I thought that was a very solar system specific name yeah and when i think of a of an asteroid belt i think of something different as the kuiper belt i don't know okay i, I still thought there were... i think you are you getting confused with oort cloud the oort cloud is the outer boundary okay, of the solar yes. system okay yes that's yeah, what yeah, i was yeah, yeah. thinking of which i it wouldn't surprise me if every star system had an oort cloud too okay since we're calling it kuiper belt okay inside the system okay um even still, I thought there it was awfully crowded. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Except for around the Orca asteroid. That was remarkably clear. Well, yeah. you, you got to have some room to, to fight. Maneuver. Fight. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Uh, that's probably why the Orca chose that asteroid. <laughs> that particular asteroid. Right. Because, yeah. you know, in case we get in a scuffle, we're going to need some room to maneuver. That's right. <laughs> uh, valid point. Mm-hmm. At the end there... We see a side of Tyr that we've really not seen before. He really gets down on a level with Dylan. Really gets emotional, and he's telling him this whole story. And just drawing everyone in. The mm-hmm. audience just sucking everyone into this story. And then at the climax of it, Dylan looks him right in the eyes and says... Sorry, dude. <laughs> and then turns around and walks off. I'm like, can you not give the guy a hug or yeah. something? <laughs> well, that one would be totally out of character. Two, I don't think Tear would appreciate it. I don't know. I mean, you he did have tears in his eyes, though. Yes. That was a different side of Tear that we hadn't seen before. But considering what all he had been through in the last five days... That was some really good acting. 
really good acting. It was good acting, and that kind of leads me to my last point mm-hmm. here, is that the acting of either Keith Hamilton Cobb or Tyr Anasazi, which one was really doing the acting here? Because, yeah. because we know the end result is that none of this is even true. We know that Keith Hamilton Cobb is a great actor. But when Tyr is is saying all these things to Dylan and he has all of this raw emotion and this the the tears in his eyes, are you buying it? No, absolutely not. Really? Not even the first time. No. Okay. Because the whole time he's going through that story, what's running through my mind is it took you five days. Five days. That's what's going through my mind. Okay. And I'm wondering, why is Dylan not saying, where were you the last five days? Because mm-hmm. you're talking about leaving in a slip fighter, apparently under your own power. You realized your son was dead. Five days. Mm-hmm. Explain that. <laughs> That's exactly what's going through my head the whole time. So I was not as emotionally invested into your story. I was seeing it as bunk. Okay. <laughs> From the get-go. Now, granted, you make an excellent point. Keith Hamilton Cobb or Tyr, whatever is at play there, very well acted. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it would draw you in if you were completely clueless. Okay. Well, then maybe you would make a better Commonwealth captain than I would. <laughs> because I'm telling you, even on the third and fourth viewing, I'm like, I think he's telling the truth. Wow. Okay. Totally did not see it that way. Oh, all right. Now, I'm exaggerating, of course, because I knew the end. Right, right. But, yeah, still, every time it's just like, oh, man, give the guy a hug. I think what's, for me, I've seen Tyr be whatever Tyr needs to be in the moment that I'm just not buying it mm-hmm. at all. It, it, I'm so I'm so over Tyr Anasazi playing whatever game he's playing. I think that's what it comes down to. Okay. So, Ryan, we have a quote, I'm sure, for this episode. You know what? We sure do. Why don't you lay that on us? All right. The soul of the Nietzschean is this. We are arrogant. We are vain. We are manipulative. We are selfish. And we love our children. That is from Drago Museveni. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way I wrote that quote down is, we are awful people, (laughs) but we love our children. Yeah. loving your children means giving them a better life. And I really have a problem with the Nietzscheans because of everything they stand for, everything we've learned about them and everything we've seen played out since learning about them really shows them to be awful. As, as we had talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. hot mess Mm -hmm. to be avoided. And they're doing their children such a disservice by being the type of people that they are. Now, that's a human moral standpoint, me looking at them. I don't doubt that on some level, every Nietzschean family does love their children and tries to give them the best, but it's from their point of view, sure, which is to the detriment of everyone else in the universe around them. Mm-hmm. And so when you have that kind of mentality, it only ends in tragedy. <laughs> For themselves and for everyone else around them. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning that I have a real problem with the Nietzschean people. Okay. And almost to the point of, I would never say that there's any reason to justify genocide. 
But I did say, these Genites are a pretty interesting group. <laughs> and I kind of understand where they're coming from. Okay. I, I'm wondering, what is Dylan's goal with the Nietzscheans? He's, he's reestablishing the Commonwealth. He's trying to reestablish civilization within the known universe. Where do the Nietzscheans fit in with this? Wherever they've got to. He's, I mean, he's having a hard enough time just dealing with tear. Right. How is he figuring in the rest of Nietzschean society? It's just a matter of principle. From the very beginning, from the time that he was trying to get Tyr to sign on with him on the Andromeda, saying a commonwealth for everybody, and uh, Tyr says even the Nietzscheans? Sure. Yeah. I don't think it, Dylan realized what a problem that's become now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Honestly. Right. Yeah. It's got to be for everybody or there's no point. Yeah. But to the point of the quote, yeah, the quote makes perfect sense. Right. And in the Nietzscheans' mind, they probably do think that they love their children. Mm-hmm. The reality, though, really is becoming evident It's that it's something different. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, don't you see that, though, even in humans in today's society? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have different people from all different walks of life with all kinds of different beliefs and backgrounds and i know that i have seen it before i have seen families and parents that raise their kids with certain beliefs and and it's really very heartbreaking yeah especially when they are raising them to hate yes I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it. I've gone to school with these kids before. They hate because that's what they were taught. Yeah. A race or a culture mm-hmm. or religion is opposite of you, and therefore um, it is a blight. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. It is something. And we've only seen the extended effects of that kind of raising mm-hmm. we see it evident in the world around us today right. yeah and you know really when you think about the nietzscheans this goes back to what harper said back in uh i don't remember what episode it was um it may have been double helix no i don't remember what it was but anyway it was the episode where he was talking about how much he hates the nietzscheans uh whether he had to choose between magog or nietzscheans he would rather live with magog mm. yeah because Nietzscheans are at their core, they're human. Yeah. And so these are the things that humans are capable of because the Nietzscheans do it and they're all they are are just human. Yeah. They're just souped up humans. Even still, uh looking at the quote though, you know, everything that that, that Drago Musevni mentions arrogant, vain, manipulative, selfish. I'm gonna say uh, true, 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 true. Yeah. Uh, we love our children. Who's for me to say whether or not they love them or not? I, I believe yeah. that they really believe they love their children. The the point that I made, I, I yeah. think, is very valid in this. It, they they say they love their children, but like you like you said, we see that in society today to mm-hmm. bring it down to reality. Whether it's Nietzschean or whether it's you know, a family that's teaching their child to hate another religion or another culture or another race. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wrong. It's doing their child a dis a disservice. Mm-hmm. The Nietzscheans are doing their children a disservice, raising them the way they do. Yeah, and, and 
And I will say the Genites are guilty of the same thing. Yeah. The Genites would no doubt say, we love our pure 100% all-American beef human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, way, <laughs> the way Harper would say it. They love their children too. But because they're teaching their children to adopt genocide as a method for making the universe better, they're not serving their children well right. by teaching them that. I kind of wonder exactly what the Nietzscheans, how do they define love? Because mm-hmm. Freya claims to have fallen in love with Tyr. Tyr, you get the idea that he must, I don't know, in his own Nietzschean way, be in love with Freya because he kept his, his armband. Yeah. Um, and then when she when she appealed to him, he came right to, to her rescue. Yeah. You get there. There's there's some some kind of a sense of love going on there between them and between Nietzsche and mates, and then with their children, they are so protective of their children and do everything for their children. Like when Tyr says to Dylan, and I saw the look too, mm-hmm. when when Freya and Tyr, they had that look with each other, and basically Freya says, "Just go." Yeah. Get Tamerlane out of here. And he says, everything I'm doing is for him. Right. That was, that was a real moment. Okay. But at the same time, why are they doing that? Is it because they have that, that natural human affection that we all have for our children? Or is it because to them, their children is their progeny, the tools that they are using to better, the way that they see the universe or to make the universe more what they want and to better themselves as a race, as Nietzscheans. Yeah. Um, To go along with that, I'm going to try and expound on it. And I don't understand the point of why I'm doing this, but we're going to do it anyway. Okay, let's go for it. All right. Let's take the ride. Uh, For a lot of people, marriage. To express love in a marriage means commitment, right? Uh-huh. You're committed to this other individual that you are married to. Mm-hmm. Is that love to its fullest extent? For some people, just being committed to another person is love to them, mm-hmm. right? But that also leaves the – if that's all your definition of love is, that's lacking a lot of things, don't you think? Yeah. But for some people, that's enough. That's simply enough to be committed to another person and to remain with them. That's showing them love. Um, so what I'm saying I'm, is, is, is that it's a moving scale, isn't it? <laughs> for some people, it's this. And for other people, it's that. Well, when you're talking about Nietzscheans that, that practice polygamy anyway. Yeah. What kind of a commitment is that, really? But, um, I, I mean, can, when you, <laughs> yeah, the good point. Good and, point. And, and maybe we're getting into a, a totally, yeah, we're totally dark breaking area. through walls here. <laughs> okay. But, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, we, you and I, Ethan, we live in a society where monogamy is the norm. Yes. Okay. And that's the way we view marriage is two people who love each other and have made that commitment. Okay, you go to other parts of the world, they have arranged marriages. Yeah, yeah. That that, ha- that has nothing to do with love at all, usually at first. Now, they say that once the two are joined in marriage, they, most of the time, supposedly, I hear, they, they bond and they form a love. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
And you know what? I, I'm, like you started out this not knowing where you were going. I'm still not sure where <laughs> we're going with that. But it's just, just, it's just the whole deal about what is, what is love in an in a Nietzschean arrangement? Yes. Yeah, arrangement. Is it just like the song well, "What Is Love"? <laughs> Baby, don't, <laughs> Baby hurt don't hurt me. me. Um, well, I, I think the point that I was trying to make is it's a moving scale. Okay. Uh, for for two human beings looking at it, love is more than what Tyr and Freya have. But apparently, for Tyr and Freya, that's enough. That is what a marriage is for them. And so that drive to preserve the the, the lineage. That's good enough for them. Yeah. And so they work together for that. Yeah, I think you're right. That's all love is for a Nietzschean, mm-hmm. is just finding someone that they are compatible with enough to have great offspring. There you go. Because that's, that's, that that's, that's the whole end game. All about that gene pool. That's the whole end game. Yeah. And, and they apparently won the lottery. I guess so. Because yeah. their child, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And you know what? That that was actually one point I kind of wanted to get back to. I see a bit of a flaw in this. And we're going to talk about this, too, in future episodes, at least two more times. Okay. Okay, so... Spoiler alert. Yeah. The genetic reincarnation of Drago Musevni is Tamerlane Anasazi. Mm-hmm. Out of Freya by Tyr. Awesome. Except the fact that we know that Tyr Anasazi, even by Nietzschean standards, is just a phenomenal specimen of a Nietzschean. Mm-hmm. Okay, both physically, mentally, emotionally, everything about Tyr Anasazi, we know he is at the top of the game by Nietzschean standards, right? Yeah. And so Freya. Also, we know that her lineage, from the exposition we got in Double Helix, her lineage is also just incredible. Yeah. So here you have these two incredible specimens of of Nietzschean species. They get together, and what do they form? The perfect Nietzschean. The perfect Nietzschean. The genetic reincarnation. Except that... Drago Museveni was the first Nietzschean. Mm-hmm. Over the last thousand-some years that Nietzscheans have been around since Drago Museveni, they have continually been genetically modifying and selectively can, breeding themselves. Can you say they've diluted their own gene pool? Diluted? No, I think that the Nietzscheans that we have now... Built it up? They are so far beyond anything that Drago Museveni ever could have been. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that because you have Drago Museveni, which was who was genetically engineered, right? Mm. We we don't know what his exact circumstances are, but whatever they were trying to accomplish, they accomplished with Drago Museveni. Now you have how many? Did we say thousands? Uh, I think it's somewhere around a thousand, I think. A thousand years. Head. Okay. A thousand years of genetic breeding from the original. What do we know about genetics? What happens to it? I mean, it doesn't matter how well you engineer one. A thousand years down the line, what is genetics going to do? 
It's going to modify. And, and from our own human experience, all genetics does is decay, right? Okay. It, it doesn't maintain perfection. There you get you get gaps, you get uh, inconsistencies, and that leads to mutation, and then that leads to whatever else, right? Well, except for Nietzscheans, because any mutation is eradicated. Does any protein maintain perfection over a thousand years? I don't know. I I, I don't think so. I mean, that's why we have variety in life today. Okay. So I, I'm just not buying that the that that you have dragomycetin and then you, it goes up from there. I'm just not I'm I'm just not buying it. Well, the reason I'm buying it is because that's the whole purpose of the Nietzscheans is to improve. So you start at the bottom, which yeah, but, is but which is dragomycetin. Examples, man. You've got pot bellies and bald <laughs> Nietzscheans. I mean, they haven't fared well. Yeah, but they don't have astigmatism. <laughs> True. Um, we know that for a fact. They have barrenness. They had the one lady. She was a pilot. And Dimitri. And Dimitri. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Dimitri. What? What did he? What was he doing with his voice? <laughs> I don't remember him <laughs> trying to sound that assertive. I guess it was because he was the alpha now. Yeah, he's got. He's got to put on a show. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know. I. I, I just don't buy that the genetic pool is as pure and built up now as it as it would have been from the original i'm just not seeing it okay so you think there's probably a lot of the selective breeding and the engineering and all this stuff that's trying to make everything better but then there's also a lot of nietzsche and trash thrown in there too absolutely okay yeah. like like any other society <laughs> exactly okay yeah all right yeah okay i'm, I'm sorry I, I know you're trying to make a point <laughs> I'm just not buying it. Okay. Well, I'm not buying it either. And from the other standpoint. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Uh, so I, even though Tyr, so so Tyr is the perfect example. Freya, by all rights, is a very attractive uh, Nietzschean female. Yeah. Sure. I mean, good for Tyr. I'm. Yeah. Yeah. So you think it would have been the the Nietzschean Messiah would have been an, imp an improvement over Dragomasevni. I don't know what he, mythology and lore, yeah. You know, I I don't know. The whole thing just kind of seems very prophetical for for something for for a people that don't really seem to hold any sort of other values for anything else besides their is this, own personal selves. Is the idea of the Nietzschean Messiah being the genetic reincarnation of Dragomasevni is that a Nietzschean lie? Are you saying that it, it could be just a Nietzschean myth? Well, I mean, we don't really have any background on it. We have we the, the desiccated remains of Dragomus Evni to yeah, test. But, but and he did test them yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. And it was a what percent match? 100. There you go. Right. Oh, I know what the script said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, I don't... with Because if you're just talking about regular people... Okay, yeah, maybe there's a chance. But with but with the Nietzscheans, their whole purpose in life is to make their genetic line stronger. Mm -hmm. To improve, always getting better and stronger and 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 improving it. Every single generation is supposed to be improving. Until so you that's why we have the the Nietzscheans that we have now is because these are supposed to be 
state-of-the-art, top-of-the-line Nietzscheans. And, and I'm just saying biology proves that there are always going to be gaps and errors, and it leads to variation. Okay. I just think that the Nietzscheans are working hard to eliminate that kind of stuff. We'll talk about it again season five. Uh, all right. I'm sure we... Okay. I'll take your word on that. Okay. So, Ryan, Immaculate Perception. What did you think about this episode? You know what? Overall, I liked it. There were a few things that were a little screwy, not even really enough to talk about for me. Um, overall, I thought it was it was really great because of the fact that we have something from episode five. Yeah. Is the whole setup for this episode. Yeah. And now here we are, episode 43, finally coming back around to it and making episode five relevant again. And, and not only just from Double Helix, but also... Everything from uh, Drago Museveni's bones and and uh, Tear keeping them on the Andromeda. What's all that for? And all the talk about the Nietzschean Messiah. Well, now we have stuff going on with that. This is created, or I shouldn't say created a story arc, but it is, it is really furthered. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's furthered that story arc. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the we, we have Genites. And yep. so that's cool. Anytime you can have a new bad guy or a new foil. And they got kind of cool looking ships too. Yeah. They look like the Narn ships from Babylon 5. Oh, just yeah? on a personal observation. Okay. Yeah. I liked them. Okay. I liked them. Uh, we didn't have we didn't have trance. That no. was that was kind of sad. So I guess if there's a mark against it, that would be it for me. Okay. That would be the big one. Um it it was uh it was a, a fun watch. It was interesting. Uh, I liked the things that were going on through through the whole episode. So even there there was a lot of the whole deal with Harper um, going out on his little mission to fool the Genites. It was very forgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, I still couldn't really tell you exactly what their whole plan was that and how they <laughs> how they tricked them because I wasn't paying attention to it. Yeah. Um, even still, it was something for Harper to do. Right. <laughs> Yeah. He, you know, he got paid. And, uh, yeah, all in all, I'm going to say, yeah, this was a good episode for me. It was a solid episode. It was an entertaining episode. And also it was an episode that carried a story arc. Those are all things that are important to me, and I give them yeses on all those. Okay. So, yeah, okay. good episode for me. I'm going to approach this a little bit differently than you. Um, I have a pro and I have a con. The con was this. I I get setting up the situation to make it appear that Tyr is going to steal the Maru. I get why they did that. But was it really necessary for Dylan and Becca to run through the hallways in angry voice, <laughs> decrying Tyr stealing the Maru, when apparently they know that it's not Tyr stealing the Maru? Whose benefit was that for? Was that to, to set up to the Genites, to broadcast to them? So that they knew that Tyr was stealing the Maru? I don't think I so. Guess. I mean, were they yelling on an open channel? Right, mm-hmm. right. That's my question. Is Why are we yelling about Tyr stealing the Maru when we know it's not Tyr stealing the Maru? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, I really have a problem with that point. Yeah. Being in the plot. Mm-hmm. You said you didn't understand why Harper was doing it except for it gave Harper something to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. If that's it. 
that's it. That's all we get as far as explanation as to why that happened. <sighs> kind of half-baked. And I kind of have a problem with that. Okay. Okay. Pro. All right. I've never seen this done in sci-fi before. And I think it's unique and and worth noting, even though to many people from the outside looking in on it, they may not have even noticed. You might not have even noticed. When they have the battle at the end and the Orca transport ships get destroyed and the Orca asteroid blows up and Tyr and everyone else is lost. There's a moment when you're on the command deck and everyone's looking at the screen and they realize it's over. Everything's been destroyed. There's a flatline sound effect going on on one of the monitors or one of the, the stations that indicates it's over. <laughs> Everyone is dead. And it's literally like out of a medical drama, a flatline sound. I've never heard that used in, in a sci-fi starship setting to indicate that everyone is gone. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I don't know. I don't know why that stood out to me, but it did. And I thought that's really a unique way of broadcasting that event and that taking place. I thought that was cool. Hmm. That was an interesting pro for me. I, I look at these and I could flip a coin. This for me was a 50-50 episode. I can look at certain aspects of it and it's cool. And yeah, we got a conclusion to Double Helix. We got really a conclusion to Season 1 and Season 2 story arc telling, like you pointed out. Mm -hmm. That's great. I love it when a sci-fi series, sci series remembers itself and finishes some stories. At the same time, there are things happening in this episode that do not make any sense and happen for the sake of just happening. And that detracts from it. So for me, yeah, there's some payoffs in this episode that I really appreciated, but there's also some things going on that take me out of the story. And so for me, I, I'm kind of, it, it's, it's a good one. Don't miss it. Uh, and I guess that kind of puts me a little bit, maybe towards 60, 40 instead, okay. maybe it's 60% good, 40% hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> So don't miss the episode. Watch it. Judge it for yourself. Uh, I'm not 100% on board with it, though. I think there's some... Uh, well, we talked about it. There are some mixed messages with the Nietzscheans that mm -hmm. I, yeah. I feel... Me personally, I feel like the writers have lost some of the perspective of what the Nietzscheans are. That, that very well could be. I was just preferring to spin it that the Nietzscheans are just a messed up people. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. No matter how you look at it, though, it is an episode worth watching. Mm -hmm. And in it, in it, there is a payoff. So, yeah, it's mostly good. There's a lot of other things going on that could take you out of it also. And it, it, it did for me. It, it was a bit of a detractor. So that's how I felt about it, Ryan. Okay. Uh, for anyone listening, what do you think about the Nietzscheans? Because we've had a lot of discussion about them. Uh, we'd love to hear what y'all think about the either the Nietzscheans or the conclusion of this story arc. Well, actually, it's not really a conclusion, is it? Uh, well, as you mentioned, we're gonna we're gonna see a little bit more on this particular issue mm -hmm. with the uh, Nietzschean Messiah. So we'd love to hear from uh, anyone, and if you would like to do so, you can email us at 
drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. Also, you can check us out on Facebook and Twitter, where we are using the handle at AndromedaPod on both of those social media places. Uh, our home is on Podbean, www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. That's where we have every single episode of Drive Back the Night that we have recorded to this point. Uh, also, while you're there, we do have a tip jar that you might notice and might feel compelled to drop something in. If you listen to us on iTunes, we'd certainly appreciate it. If you'd just take a moment, uh, give us a review or at least some stars on the iTunes store. It helps us out uh, by giving us a little bit more exposure, and we do certainly appreciate the time that you would spend. Good thanks to our big friend Doug Anderson, who once again lent us his voice for the opening quote of this episode. We are an Age of Geek production, www.ageofgeek.com. Always putting out some good podcasts over there from their Studio A, Age of Geek Studio A. Or two, or C. Or C, yeah, sometimes C. <laughs> Give us a listen if you don't understand that reference. Uh, episode uh, Issue number 60, yep. we'll explain that. Right. And this is always the bit of the show where we do our part. Huh? We've come to the show of the end. What? Next week, we're going to talk about the tunnel at the end of the light. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah.